This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast, transformative principal and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. And in just two weeks and one day, the other book I wrote called How to Be a Transformative Principal is coming out, and I'm super excited about that one. It'll be here in no time at all. Well, there's one of our shows all taken care of, Jethro. I think we're... <laughs> two weeks from now, we will pencil in a discussion of your new book. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. So greetings, everybody. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant back in Brooklyn, New York, after uh, flying up to Anchorage last week. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and so much more. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. So hello again there, Jethro. Well, happy Monday, Fred. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm struggling with that concept, but go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, I'm fascinated by the TikTok video that you were just watching that is so fascinating in our age of social media and the democratization of information that is it's, just mind-blowing. Tell us about that. It, it really is. Just before we went on the air, Jethro, and I'm going to throw this into our show notes right now, um, I was alerted to a TikTok video from the Ukraine that was posted by a young woman out clearly in 
absolutely freezing temperatures. And she is demonstrating to the world how to turn on and drive a captured Russian tank in the middle of Ukraine. And there are so many aspects of this, right, that get to the issues that we talk about in this show and in our work, respectively. I mean, the platform that young people have now is absolutely staggering. You yeah. know, that this young woman is able to do this recording. Clearly, she's being recorded by somebody, but it gets out onto TikTok. It can be linked, it can be shared, it can be viewed by millions of people around the world. And that has, I think, helped. I mean, that's part of this thing that we may want to talk about at some point, which is the, the role that social media is playing in this conflict in mm -hmm. so many different ways. And the other thing, you know, which more closely relates to what you and I talk about is the challenge that is raising for parents in terms of talking to their kids. You know, I know my sister, I spoke to her yesterday. And um, as I've talked about, she has three young kids, three daughters who are all under the age of 11. And to one degree or another, they're all aware of what's going on because of the feeds involved in, mm -hmm. and the fact, you know, honestly, she has the news on, but then there's also the social media piece. And yeah. so it's a very different situation, I think, than we've experienced before. Yeah, especially with so many kids getting social media and their own cell phones at such a young age now that we've talked about numerous times. And I was just in Houston this last week presenting at a conference and um, talking about how social media exacerbates trauma. And one of the things that we brought up was a study by Pam Ramadan. Ra I think it's Ramadan or Ramadan. I'm not sure. It's not like the Muslim holiday, but it's, it's spelled a little bit differently. Anyway, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but she, she studied how um, social media, seeing graphic images and videos on social media, which people are seeing because people are publishing that stuff um, about this current war in Ukraine. Uh, a, a, and so people are being exposed to it. And that could be, that could be damaging to someone who is not prepared to see some of that. Even images of, um, of fighting in the streets that don't show any blood, but just knowing that there's an opposing force on the other side, you know, this video showing somebody learning how to drive a tank and teaching other people how to drive a captured tank. I mean, all those things are going to have an impact and we don't know what they're going to be yet. But um, Dr. Ramadan in her in her study showed that when you do see these things, then they do create secondary trauma within you. And it's something to think about and and be aware of. And that's um, that's a challenging place to be for sure. It really is. And, and it, it does seem to me like we um, may want to reach out. It, is it possible that it was Dr. Ramsden? I was just doing a quick search online. And yeah. okay, so the link to her bio is in the show notes for today. And I think Jethro, we might want to reach out to her yeah. and see if she'd be a guest on the podcast and talk through these issues. Uh, for folks who are listening, because I think that's a really uh, important topic. Yeah. And you know what? I think that I fat fingered it. I did. Ramsden, I, I put in the wrong thing. <laughs> well, that, no big deal. That's my fat that's fingers. The, that's the beauty of the internet. We can just, 
I put in actually uh, Pam Ramadan trauma and Google corrected me. So yeah, kudos to the algorithm today. Well, and so, Ramad- Ramsden autocorrects on my computer to Ramadan, but I knew it wasn't right true. when I did it. <laughs> and so I said it at this conference and I'm like, that just does not seem right. And I had it earlier in the slide where it was spelled correctly. So thanks. Thanks, autocorrect. <laughs> All right. You are not the first person to say that for sure. (laughs) No, I do not mean duck. Um, In any case, (laughs) moving on to today's topic, which I think is a a good one for folks to pay attention to, uh, because it resonates with so much of what we do online. Mm -hmm. Um, Congress is sticking its fingers into the tech world again. And that's always a little bit of a dicey situation when they do that. But what we're specifically going to talk about today is a piece of legislation uh, that is called the Earn It Act, E-A-R-N-I-T, so it's which got, stands for... It's got to be about money then, right? <laughs> well, in, in a way it is. We will get there. <laughs> in a way, everything Actually, is. <laughs> right, right. In this particular case, what Congress wants tech companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter and so forth to do is to earn their legal protection under Section 230, because as the full title says, Congress wants to set about eliminating abusive and rampant neglect of interactive technologies. Now, I have all kinds of issues with their construction here. And you actually have some thoughts on this as well. I mean, they're just good marketers. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is how do you, I don't, they've got to have whole sessions on wordsmithing names of bills to make them appealing to people. And something like earn it sounds exactly like what they're, what they're trying to do. Now, I originally thought that it was earn it as in earn some sort of money, but no, it's about earning the legal protection, as you said, and, and then the eliminating abusive and rampant neglect of interactive technologies um, is uh, is a word jumble that means hardly anything at all. <laughs> and so, like most things in the well, government, you really got to dig in to truly understand it. In, in, indeed you do. And that is exactly why we're here today, to help make sense of what this is and, and hopefully help people understand why we're bothering to talk about it. So, The fundamental question here is, can Congress eliminate some of the worst content online and do so without breaking the internet? That's the question. And and why we phrase it that way is that this legislation is taking aim at something called Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act, which was passed back in 1996. And as I've mentioned before, indirectly led to the writing and publication of my first book, uh, Obscene Profits. So the point of Section 230, just a little history lesson here, is that uh, the online service Prodigy got sued by a company whose tank, whose stock value tanked because of something that someone said on Prodigy. Now, for those of you in the audience who are old enough to remember (laughs) Prodigy, AOL, CompuServe, things like that, these were the early online services of the internet. And their primary focus at the time, because bandwidth was so minimal, was on 
conversations. They had message rooms that people could go into dealing with different topics and people would talk to each other and type stuff back and forth. And one of the prodigy forums was devoted to uh, stocks. And somebody went into that forum and said something nasty about this business in no, I mean, it's, it's relatively likely that they had shorted the stock. So they were hoping for the value to go down. But in fact, um, the company was really, really irritated because what was said was false. So they sued Prodigy for not um, supervising the message room adequately. So when Congress was freaking out about online pornography, Prodigy saw it as an opportunity to go to Congress and say, hey, we need some protection because we can't operate our business if we're required to supervise everything that everyone says in our forums. We'll just have to shut them down. So Congress adopted Section 230, which basically relieves every online company from legal liability for user-created content. And that piece of that little tiny piece of legislation, it's only like 30 words long yeah. or something like that, is the core foundation of all of our social media. And this is one of the reasons that, you know, Facebook can't be sued for what people put on Facebook or Twitter or what have you. They have this big gaping protection that relieves them of any liability. Yeah, which is which is enormous. Uh, like yes. gaping is a small word to describe it. So is enormous. I mean, they can they can basically put their hands up and say, user generated, we can't do anything about that. And they do that for a lot of things. But over the past few years, they've started to crack down and say, okay, we're not going to allow these different things. They've had to make rules and policies and procedures around various things that they have said are not allowed on the platform. And much of that is is not because the law is saying they have to, but because their users and their their public perception is demanding that they do something about it. That's absolutely right. And the only way in which Congress has previously taken any action is with a pair of laws known by their acronyms SESTA and FOSTA, which are both aimed at getting rid of sex trafficking content on the internet. And this was a huge problem for uh, an online service called Backpage or Backpages. I forget if there was an S, but that at one point had been purchased by the Village Voice and literally was the only thing keeping the Village Voice up and running. And then Congress passed these two laws, which basically said that if an online service was aware of any advertisements that could reasonably involve sex trafficking, particularly of minors, then they could be sued and they could be prosecuted. So as a result of that, and we can have a great discussion about whether or not it was an okay outcome, all of these online services began getting extremely aggressive about any content relating to sex work. Mm -hmm. And there are some who argue, particularly because uh, SESTA and FOSTA, I think, have only been used in one case in five years, a lot of people have argued that these laws have made sex work more dangerous because it's driven it underground again, the way mm -hmm. it used to be. And, you know, there's a whole pile of, of speech and morality issues that pop up in all of that. Um, so it's complicated, but it, it is a good illustration that 
that sometimes, particularly when you're working in the area of speech, Congress doesn't necessarily anticipate everything that will happen. Yeah, I mean, I would say they probably never anticipate everything that will happen because <laughs> it's nearly impossible. So no argument here. Yeah. So let's take a, a a different example that everybody would argue is is the right thing to do. That our website should be accessible for people with disabilities. That if someone with disabilities needs to access a website, it should be accessible. So what happened in 2015 or 16 is a ton of school districts got sued by a, a firm that was rep, that was representing, I don't know if they're representing anybody or just saw that school districts' websites were not accessible and therefore were violating the IDEA Act, the um, uh. Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, um, mm -hmm. and made it so that they they then said, we're going to sue you for violating this law and your website's not accessible. So you have X number of days to do this or, or else we're going to appeal that you get fined a certain amount and we're suing you for this much damages. So that I was aware of this tangentially because I saw all these websites starting to suddenly become very accessible in overt ways to like go above and beyond to show that they were accessible by highlighting where the mouse clicked and by uh, doing other things, you know, having uh, speech readers or saying this website is accessible or whatever it is. And then our district got a letter like that. And um, our buddy Damon had to be involved because he was the IT director mm. at the time in re right. updating the website to make sure that it was all accessible. So we have these laws that are hopefully good intentioned and hopefully are trying to do the right thing. And then there are unintended consequences that happen that school districts were being sued for not doing something that nobody else on the internet was doing, but they were an easy target. And so they were targeted for that. And the reason why I bring this up is that that, that was one of the unintended consequences that school districts did have to pay some things at some point, either in damages or in paying someone to update their website that wasn't ready. And at this point now, you know, companies that make websites for schools make them accessible, which is good. And we want that, but there are some unintended consequences that people can't see. And, and that's why we need to talk about these kinds of laws that are going forward and say, what, like you said, is this going to break the internet and ruin the things that we love about the internet? Right. And, and boy, do we have some other issues yeah. up, up in connection with this. So just a little bit more background. I mean, to be perfectly clear, what Congress is targeting with the Earn It Act is a category of online material that they call child sexual abuse material. Um, it's known in various circles as CSAM. Uh, so you'll see that acronym popping up a fair amount. And what they want to do is to basically make it easier for state attorney generals, attorneys general, to um, go after online companies under state law. So currently, SESTA and FOSTA provide an exception to federal, to Section 230 for federal crimes. The Earn It Act would extend that exception to state enforcement. So then the question would become, what would you know, a service like Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat have to do in order to avoid being prosecuted by a state attorney general? So there's that. Um, and just so many state attorneys general, right? 
that's the other right. part well, is that there's 50 of them, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, you know, the companies are really worried about having to comply with different regulations and different legal standards across the country. And, you know, that in and of itself gets at the philosophy of the internet, which is that, you know, it applies to the whole nation as a entity. Mm-hmm. So just um, a little bit of, um, not strategic, but um, a little bit of background in terms of process. This piece of legislation was just voted out of the Senate Judiciary Committee by a unanimous vote, which obviously in this day and age is pretty remarkable. It is. Um, and it's supposed to go before the full Senate at some point this spring. But many of the concerns that you and I are going to talk about over the next few minutes are things that have been raised by different senators. So it's not clear if this will actually be passed. Um, but why don't you go through, Jethro, the, the main provisions of the bill, and then we'll talk about some of the reaction to them. Yeah. So first of all, you mentioned that it seeks to get rid of um, CCM, which is good. We want to not have children be sexually exploited. So we definitely mm-hmm. want that. Um, Thumbs up to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it limits the liability protection, uh, as we mentioned, with websites and services that where people are claiming that there are they're violating these child exploitation laws. Um and then it changes the words to CSAM, child sexual abuse material, instead of child pornography or material that contains child pornography. And I think that that is, you know, words do matter and what we say matters. And I think that the good thing there is that child sexual abuse material um, can be more broad and can, you know, things that could have like gotten through because you weren't trying to do that or it wasn't that kind of a thing. I'm thinking like fan fiction sites or things like that, that, um, that are really do have some awful stuff on there that they could be, that could be included in that, um, in, in that word. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, changes in reporting requirements for service providers who export in, uh, examples, uh, to the national center for missing and exploited children. Um, and also provider requires providers to report facts and circumstances sufficiently to identify and locate each minor and each involved individual. And that one becomes exceptionally challenging to try to find every single person, which again, that's a good thing to make sure they know that that's out there. But at the same time, that's an incredible burden on a tech company to try to, to do that. Well, it absolutely is. And let's let's dig into that one a little bit, because that's an area actually I've spent some time working on over the last 20 years. Um, before I do that, let me um, let me just highlight there was one other provision of this law that's relevant to the conversation we're about to have, which is that this piece of legislation in, uh, creates a quote unquote national commission on online check, child sexual exploitation prevention. And the idea is that it will have a mixture of, I hate this word, but uh, stakeholders. Um, So tech companies, law enforcement, advocates of one kind or another, and so forth. And the idea is that that commission is going to set up, quote unquote, best practices for these online service providers to follow. So if you link that together with what you were just talking about in terms of 
reporting facts and circumstances sufficient to identify, the immediate big problem that arises is that a very good argument can be made by defense attorneys that this essentially makes the tech companies agents of the government mm-hmm. in terms of the, the searches that they would do. Because w- Richard Blumenthal, who's a former attorney general from the state of Connecticut and is now a uh, Connecticut senator, um, really actively sort of wants to do this, that he wants, you know, the current situation is that if a tech company like Facebook or Google becomes aware that someone has uploaded CSAM content, um, that actually that's redundant, CSAM to their feed, they voluntarily turn that information over to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So I don't know, what was it? Facebook, I guess last year did 20 million voluntary reports to NCMEC, which gives you an idea of the scale of the problem. But if this legislation and the, the basically the arm twisting by the commission turns these tech companies or, or compels these tech companies to actively search for CSAM, then anything they find is arguably being done as an agent of the federal government. And when that happens, they've now violated the warrant requirements of the Fourth Amendment. Well, and this is where it gets so complicated because you know, you're voluntarily putting this stuff up on social media. You're choosing to do that. And social media companies can see it and can flag it and delete it and turn it in uh, for sure. They can already do that. But then when they're now working on behalf of the government to intentionally seek, find it, report it, report the circumstances around it, identify the people involved, then that does become them, you know, being agents of the government. And I liken this going back to schools to many situations where I've talked with police officers and they have all said, you have much greater ability to search than we do. And so you search and let us know if you find anything and then we can deal with it. But they they would have to go through the process to get a warrant and have reasonable cause to do that. And And so this basically turns (laughs) schools are already agents of the government because they're government institutions. Right. So that's that's not as as blurry a line. But this is then telling a private company you because you found this, you need to go tell us all the information connected to it. And that that does violate that warrant cause. Sure. Absolutely. And let me let me give you a couple of examples from the kind of tech side just to show you how this might work. So in the computer forensics work that I've done, Jethro, it's not uncommon for a case to be started because some bozo has CSAM and gets the quote unquote clever idea that he's going to save it in a draft email mm-hmm. in his Gmail account. And the thought being right, it's a draft. It doesn't go anywhere. Well, because this individual doesn't understand how Gmail works, um, it is in fact uploaded to Gmail. And Gmail as a routine um, calculates what's called a hash value Mm -hmm. for every single image that is uploaded to its service. And Facebook does the same, Snapchat, so forth. And then 
Um, they also run a skin content filter on these images. So they're looking for a percentage of skin in any given image. And if that gets flagged, then it's examined by a human being to see whether or not it's abuse material. So if and when Google finds that, they submit it to the cyber tip line at NCMEC. And that's the voluntary part. Google becomes aware of something and then says, well, oops, we see this, we're gonna get the feds on it. Under this law, because of the fact, for instance, that Facebook or Google uses end-to-end -end encryption, one of the things that could result is that Google will do what is called a client-side ins inspection, which is to say before you even upload any image, it's going to be looking on your device to see whether or not it's potential CSAM. So one of the things that you're starting to see is a lot of concern about, number one, those kinds of searches on our private devices, mm -hmm. you know, before we even interact with the service, or the potential impact on end-to-end -end encryption, which is critical for whistleblowers, our own security. I mean, we talk about cybersecurity all the time. Um, end-to-end -end encryption is what keeps our banking information, for instance, safe. Right. So, you know, when you start to see how the tech companies may be forced to respond to this law, that's when some of these real concerns begin to arise. Yeah. And when you can put a backdoor into any end-to-end -end encryption, it is no longer end-to-end -end encrypted because well, of course, somebody right. somewhere is going to find a way to get into that. And that's exactly what a backdoor does is provide another entrance to it. And that's something that we... You know, so my big issue with with all of this stuff is who's in power and who's making the decision. And if it's people who agree with me, then I'm probably okay with it, like everybody else. <laughs> if it's people who don't agree with me, then I'm not okay with it. And we had two really good examples of that in the last year and a half, where the the truckers up in Canada had donations made to them, just like Black Lives Matter did in 2020, and the truckers money got frozen and seized or whatever ended up happening there and refunded. Um, and imagine how upset people would have been if it was the Black Lives Matter money that had that happen to it. And, mm -hmm. you know, the same, uh, all these things go back to, do you agree with the people uh, knocking down people protections for different people? And, and that's where this gets really, really scary because you know, if if you like and agree with the person who's in charge, then it's not a big deal because you trust that they're not going to do the wrong thing. But leaders change and positions change. And so over time, that's going to change. And we really need to think about that as this comes up. And it's not just about protecting people who are doing bad things. But right now, we think they're bad. But in in five years, we could be the ones who are seen as being the bad ones, right? You know, this is this is absolutely the battle over autocracy and fascism. This is exactly the point that you worry about who's going to be making those decisions right. and what tools will they have to make them. And so I, I completely agree with you on this, Jethro. I think that, you know, we all agree as well, no, not everybody, but the vast majority of people agree that images of children being abused are a bad thing and that we should not 
encourage or even allow their distribution. Um, you know, I, I, that's where my first amendment absolutism hits mm-hmm. the wall. You yeah. know, I think there's, you know, there are folks out there who try to defend it and I, I just, I can't go that far, but the point being here, what, what other uses of a tool like the earn it act will there be that could damage many of the things we care about? And on top of that, if the law specifically doesn't achieve its goal, because it makes it easier to defend people who are charged with this crime, then I think we're just eating our own tail at that point. And it's, it's something we really should think long and hard about. Yeah. So, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit about that before, but if, if, if a tech company is, is now an extension of the government and is searching and violating the fourth amendment of illegal search and seizure, um, then that doesn't help anybody because as <laughs> as soon as somebody says this is the thing we're now searching for it i i believe that politicians put things like csam in here because they know almost everybody agrees that that is a bad thing and then sure. things yeah. they say well right now this is the bad thing and so <laughs> we are going to say that we're going to use this law to go after that bad thing that we think is the bad thing now. And and then there are lawsuits and people sue, and then we get clarity, but that's a very long process that allows a lot of violations to take place during the time while we're trying to figure that all out. Absolutely correct. And, and there's that, you know, I think what you're alluding to, and I, I agree with this, is the potential for mission creep. Right. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that old saying, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is one of the things that Congress, I think, grapples with. Um, moral panic, you, you know, this as well as I do, moral panic is a great justification for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I think we should be very leery. There is a clear harm here. We have a system that is working reasonably well in terms of trying to stomp this out. I know that you know, state forensics labs are backed up for months, if not years, processing stuff that has been identified. Um, So, you know, that's actually a whole nother thing, by the way. If you turn these tech companies into active searchers for this content, who's going to provide the money on the back end Mm -hmm. to do the forensic examinations? That's a huge piece of this that I haven't seen discussed anywhere. Yeah. And again, this is one of these instances of Congress saying, hey, we're going to fix it, but we're not going to put any money in right. for the folks who actually have to do the work. Yeah. But I think the much more the much more disturbing thing really is the potential for a ruling of illegal search and seizure to keep out the very evidence that is being collected by these companies. You know, the end to end encryption thing is is a little bit more vague and um, unformed. But the, the Fourth Amendment stuff, I think, is very clear cut in terms of the potential harm that that could do to these kinds of cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that idea of it, it keeping out the very evidence that could prove somebody's guilt is really, that's scary yeah. to think about. Because then, you know, they basically get off scot-free and that's, that, that totally right, but- defeats the whole purpose of this act, right? <laughs> Right. But this brings us back to your central point, which is that 
the Fourth Amendment is designed to protect us all from governmental overreach. Mm -hmm. And so if we start weakening the Fourth Amendment, then potentially we all suffer. And this, this I, I just a quick shout out, Jethro, if you'll allow me, is that the debate over general warrants and specific warrants, which the Fourth Amendment requires, is really at the core of my book, American Privacy, mm-hmm. because I argue that the Bill of Rights is overwhelmingly about the concept of privacy, particularly in response to the uh, British Empire. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could do a whole nother three hours on that. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, I think the the other issue here is, um, is is putting putting these things in place, um, especially going back to that that whole every state will have a different idea about this law. Um, yes. And and what their own laws are, that that would be a a big burden on especially emerging new and different technology companies. So if somebody wants to challenge Facebook's or Meta's supremacy, it's going to be really tough because all of these systems and processes that are that now exist are going to make it really hard for anybody to to start something new and adhere to all these laws and rules that that are coming in. And that I think would be, you know, it would just make the the burden of entry so significant that we would lose competition, we would lose um, differentiation between different services, and you just have to have even more money than you have to have already to get any sort of market penetration on that. that that's a great point. And, and you will inevitably see different states taking different approaches to what level of searching a tech company would need to do to satisfy that state attorney general. And then of course, keep in mind that attorney gen- attorneys general change, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that piece of it too. And you'll have you know crazy rush to do state laws on, on different aspects of this. I, you know, I don't know why Senator Blumenthal sees that as a feature, not a bug, which right. is exactly what he said. Um, I, I, I'm a little bewildered by that because normally I respect his acumen on these things, but I, I just think that this is going to be a nightmare to enforce. And we've already seen with SESTA and FOSTA that you put this law in the books and it doesn't necessarily go anywhere or do anything meaningful except to drive certain kinds of speech that we're worried about farther and farther underground. Yeah. I mean, there's, as usual, Fred, you've done an amazing <laughs> job of putting tons of resources in here. So definitely check out cybertraps.com for the show notes about this, because there's no way we could get to all of it. And really, you've done a great job of bringing in different ideas and, and ways to look at this that helps um, helps us see what some of the potential pitfalls are, and also some of the benefits of it as well, because there are, there are both, as with any sure. decision we make. Well, it's kind of you to say, Jethro, I mean, it, it's gratifying, because this is what we do. We do this research, and we talk about it. So Uh, right back at you. But I do hope that people will find those additional resources useful. At the very least, watch that great TikTok video from the Ukraine. If you've ever wanted to know how to drive a Russian tank, that's must-see TV. Uh, In any case, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. 
In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic or guest suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this episode. Please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service of choice. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master's schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.